You've tuned in to TV You Grew Up With, where we interview the people who created the greatest TV shows ever made. Here's your host, Jim Harrell. Welcome to the second installment of TV You Grew Up With. I'm Jim Harold, and so glad to be with you once again. Now, our guest tonight played Ralph Mouth in one of the most iconic TV series of all time, Happy Days. He's gone on to add directing, producing, and singing to his very successful acting career. We welcome Don Most to the program. Don, thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you uh, for having me. I, I mean, when you think, uh, in, in starting out this show, I've been trying to think of iconic shows, shows that really define a period. And I'm in my 40s, and boy, when I was a kid in school, we always watched Happy Days. What was it like to be a part of, really, at its time, the most popular television show in America? Wow, yeah, it was It was a... It was like walking, like I'd been transferred into the Twilight Zone, which was another big show then, um, because it, it was surreal. Yeah, I mean, it, you go from anonymity um, to, you know, a kid from Brooklyn, New York, and, um, and then there I am out in Hollywood, California, and working with Ron Howard and, mm -hmm. and uh, Gar people, uh, Gary Marshall and, and Tom Bosley, who, um, who had been a big star on Broadway, and um, and this incredible group of people, and and now we become, like you said, the number one show in the country. Where and back then, there were only three networks. That's right. I was going to bring that because people who were uh, younger than both of us don't remember the days before cable really made its entrenchment. Basically, you watched one of three stations: ABC, CBS, NBC. No Fox at the time. A few independent stations, and the lowest-rated program would be a hit now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It would be big. I, th I don't know what the share, you know, like I think a hit now is if you have 5 million people or seven or something like that, right. I, I would think, you know, we were getting like 60 million people. Or yeah. Something I mean, like it was that. crazy. So, and, and, um, so you couldn't go anywhere, you know, without being recognized everywhere you went all the time. So it was, it got crazy for a while, you know, and it, it was a little, it took a little a bit of adjust. It was an adjustment period, I would say. Oh, I would think it would have to be. And uh, yeah. I mean, you guys were everywhere. You were on merchandise. I remember I had a board game, the Happy Days board game, and Happy Days trading cards and lunchboxes. And kids just loved the show. And it was a great time because there was such a nostalgia in those in the seventies for the fifties with American Graffiti had come out uh, right. and been so successful. And so Greece, yeah, Greece. So how did you? How did you get involved in the Happy Days project? Well, I, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in uh, in the New York area in Brooklyn, and um, I'd been pursuing. I started seriously pursuing the acting profession when I was about sixteen, and I was going to classes in New York, and and then through that, I found a woman who became my manager, and then I started getting. She started getting me um, agents to send me out on auditions, and I started doing a lot of commercials and was getting doing well with that and then I was going to college at the time in Pennsylvania and doing theater and and so I was really into you know all of that and um but I mainly was getting commercials in New York and occasional TV spot but um I I was getting frustrated and and I went I decided to go out to California mm -hmm. um after my junior year at college at Lehigh University and see how I could do during the summer and um and because of 
some of the work I'd done in the New, in the New York area and, I, and the agents I knew, they were able to connect me to some agents out here in L.A., and I was lucky, fortunate to, to land an, a good agent, and they started sending me out. And I got some parts right away, um, and it was going well. And then I was supposed to go back. Uh, I went back to New York. I was supposed to start school in several days for my senior year. And at, I, was, I was there for my sister's wedding. The, you know, I got home, and, and my manager was there. And she said, I have to talk to you when we have a minute. And so we went aside and... She said, uh, I spoke to your agents and they, they, you know, they think you're doing so well. You got some momentum going and right. they think you should take six months off of school. Don't go back right now and, and, and take six months and see what happens because the season's getting going now. It's getting hot and they think I could do really well. So it was like the, he said, she said that to me and I didn't even have to think. It was like pure animal instinct. It was like, <laughs> yes, that's what I'm doing. And I knew my parents were not going to be thrilled about that, but uh, that's what I did. I, I turned bet they came around, around, though. They came around. They did. <laughs> but, but I literally turned around like in 48 hours and flew back to California, took six months off of school. And, you know, and then um, what happened was uh, um, I got one role pretty quickly, but then nothing for months. And I was thinking, oh, God, I made a mistake. And sure. what did I do? And then the audition for Happy Days came up. And, um, after a series of auditions and screen tests, um, I was offered the role uh, the role of Ralph, even though I'd been auditioning for Potsy. Uh, I I had, I'd heard that I thought you were uh, uh, auditioning for the Ron Howard part, but I must have must have heard wrong. But that that is fascinating how you end up auditioning for one character and become another. Yeah, um, you know, uh, they Ron and Anson had um, Anson Williams had already done these parts. A year prior, and they did a pilot called Happy Days, um, but it didn't sell. Wasn't that part of Love? Wasn't there a used for yes. a vignette for Love American style? Yeah, well, what happened when, when it didn't sell as a series, They um, ABC decided, well, you know, instead of just wasting all that money, right. it, fit, it fit nicely into a half-hour sh- uh, episode of Love American style. So it aired on that. But then Graffiti came out. Uh-huh, and it yep. became a huge hit. And now I think, you know, the geniuses <laughs> said, well, wait a minute. Maybe w- this is a good idea. And But they, they thought that a year had gone by and maybe Ron and Anson would now be too old to play the high school kids. So uh, they made Gary go through this whole rigmarole of screen testing all these other people. So in the end, they got their wish, which Gary wanted Ron and Anson to, to play them again. But somebody... Uh, I was told that it was uh, Mike Eisner, who was an executive at Paramount at the time. Who Ended up running on, Disney, yeah. Yeah. He was an executive at Paramount. Supposedly, he said when he saw my screen test, you should, we should, you should put him in the show too. So that's what happened. And there was a small character in the pilot, Ralph Malf, and they decided they would uh, – offer me that and turn it into a regular role. And that's how that and happened. That, and that was history. Now, let me ask you, I mean, I, I want to get to some of the things that you did after Happy Days and, and what you're doing today and some of the things you're really excited about today. But I do have to ask, I mean, you got the sense watching the show, and again, we're dealing with professional actors, so they're supposed to make things look in a certain way. But you got the feeling that it was a, a family atmosphere. I know you guys had a softball team that toured. Yeah. What, I mean, uh, was it a happy set? I mean, was it like a family? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. 
I couldn't emphasize that enough. Um, it, it was just one of these fortuitous situations where uh, the executive producers and the casting people brought together a group of people that fit like a glove with, you know, I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, Jerry Paris, our leader, he was our director. Um, you know him from the Dick Van Dyke show, Dick Van Dyke show. He directed most of those and played the next door neighbor. He was an incredible guy, a comic genius and um, one of the most fun people to be around. And then Ron and Henry and Anson and I and Tom and Mar Marion and Aaron. I mean, it, we got along so well and we respected each other because we took the work very seriously and and but we respected each other. We supported each other. And we had a great time, you know, it was, and like you said, um, Gary, uh, decided we'd form a, he knew we had a lot of ball players. We formed a base, a softball team. And so we played together as a team on the road at major league stadiums sometimes, you know, charity games before the regular games. And so there was so much bonding and, and, um, and then, you know, with the success of the show, we shared that, that climb together and like, you know, it was just an amazing experience. And, and and before we go on to post happy days, do you have a, a favorite happy days anecdote you'd like to share with the folks? Oh man, um, probably a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. Well, you know, I'm, I'm looking at you my, can. <laughs> well, I'm looking up. I'm looking at on my wall right now, and there's a picture of, of someone who vi who just came and visited our set, and we and Anson looked over and the sign. He goes, "Guys, look at this guy over there. He doesn't he look at like." John Lennon, and we said, "Nah, nah, it can't be John <laughs> Lennon, right?" And it was, and he was there with his son Julian, oh, and cool. and he came over, and he just his son loved the show, and he wanted to bring him on, and and he just hung out with us the good part of the day, and it was pretty amazing. I have a picture with all of us together with him right, that I'm looking at right now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that, that's got to be a great great memory, along with uh, many others. Now. You decided, I believe 1980, you decided to, to leave the show. I think it was the same time Ron Howard left the show. Uh, what was that transition like? And, and then wrapped into that is another question. You know, Ralph Malf, you know, he was, uh, he was kind of, sometimes he could be a bit of a putz, you know. <laughs> How, you know, I read an article a long time ago when he was still alive about Ted Knight. And how, you know, he played Ted Baxter, who was kind of a buffoonish character. And then people assumed that Ted Knight was that in real life. Right. So, so how was it as you were transitioning out of Happy Days, trying to do other things, how was it to convince people, even people in the business, that I'm not Ralph Mouth, but I, I can do many, many other things? Oh, boy. I'm, that's a, you know, we could spend... <laughs> come, come, come! I'll fly you out of here. And we'll spend about a month talking about that um, because it, it's an, it was an incredibly difficult um, task, challenge. Um, it still is, believe it or not, to some degree. Uh, definitely, um, it, not as much now. But back then, and and I left. One of the reasons, you know, I I decided not to uh, sign a new contract was that. Uh, I knew I was getting a, a typecast and, and heavily associated with a character that was not really anything what I was like in real life. You know, as an actor, that's what you do is you, I think you, you're supposed to, you know, create and portray other, a, a multitude of characters. Right, sure. And this was one, this was one that developed and it wasn't who I was. Right. It's almost, you get punished for doing such a good job because people believed you were Ralph Mouth. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that I've used that almost 
phrase verbatim that you just <laughs> said. You can, we can, I can, you can quote me, I can quote you. It was exactly what I would say that I almost, you know, you get victimized because people thought that's who I was. And, 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 and when people would meet me, there were a lot of people that were so surprised and, and just shocked that I wasn't like that. Um, but it was still hard. Um, so what happened was it became very hard for me to get auditions for the kinds of roles that I wanted to do. You know, I couldn't even get into audition. Um, and so I was, I, I never would get a chance. And, um, and then, and so I started doing theater a lot, you know, in different places across the country just to do, to keep working. Um, but it was very, and, and part of the problem was also, um, I told my agent when I left the show that I didn't want to do at, for the time being, I didn't want to do another TV series. Mm-hmm. I, I, didn't, I, I just wanted to try to get film, you know, maybe a miniseries or TV movie, but film and theater. Well, you know, back then it was almost impossible to go from a sitcom to feature films. Not like today, not like today. It's very, it was very, very different. Um, that, that you were looked upon kind of like a second class citizen to the film world, you know, when you right. were doing, so it was very difficult. And so I, as a result, I, I didn't get auditions for any of those things that I felt I could be right for. And, um, and I, and I, t- uh, my own decision, you know, was not going up for television, which probably in retrospect was a mistake that I had, um, not that I decided to leave when I did, but that I turn my back on, you know, say doing any television that, uh, that would be the one thing that maybe I would have done differently. Um, so it, yes, it was, it was very difficult people. And on top of that, the fact that, you know, what, what it was is that the interesting thing, when I would go around the country, I would hear people say, when are you going to do something else? And they really wanted to see me in something else. Right. But the people in the industry, the casting directors and producers, they played very safe. And I think that it was fear. They thought that the public maybe wouldn't accept me. So they didn't want to make the mistake and be the one to go out on a limb and, you know, and do something that they could be blamed on as being stupid <laughs> because they thought, you know, the public is not going to accept me. When, when it, the reality was, I think, that they were much more open to it than the powers that be in Hollywood. Well, I so, think in some ways, as much as underestimating you, they underestimate the public. Yes. Yes, it was, exactly. It's a twofold thing. They underestimate me, underestimated me and the public. I believe that's, that's exactly right. So um, it was tough. It was a very tough period. And, um, you know, things started getting a little better after a while, and you know, I said, I told my agents, okay, you know, I'm, I'll do some television, and I got, and I started doing, you know, I got to do a bunch of guest roles on a, a multitude of shows, but you know, not the, still, it wasn't the kind of quality of of roles and material that I was really wanting to do, but but it was, but it was work, and I'm glad, and I was thankful and grateful that I got it. And and some of them were better than others, you know that kind of thing. And I've got to I've got to do a good amount over the years, and then some independent films, and then I started to direct uh, out of you know sort of a creative need right. to, to do stuff, you know. So that's where it led me into directing too. Now, in terms of directing, what is that like? You know, you're used to being directed, taking direction. Obviously, you mentioned you worked with uh, Jerry Paris, uh, the the late Jerry Paris, who was a legendary TV director. So you picked up, I'm sure, a lot by osmosis. What was it like turning the tables and directing other actors? 
Well, um, yeah, it was an interesting uh, transition. And, and what I did was I started by directing some small theater, um, what's known as equity waiver theater, where if you're in a, a, theater, a size theater of 99 seats or less, you know, you don't have to pay the normal union rates and all that. So it was, it was, it's a great way out here to break in new plays um, and for actors to try to get some meaty material to showcase themselves. You know, it's that kind of a thing. So um, I, the first play I directed was a play that I had a, a appeared in. So I knew the play really well. And, um, and it was very interesting uh, when, I, when I all of a sudden was on the other side and like you said, I, um, a lot of people would say to me, you're going to be surprised how much you already know, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I didn't know whether I would know. You didn't know what you knew. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and, um, and they were right because, you know, it, it, it came pretty naturally. It came pretty easy. And I think I knew when to not get in, in their way and when, when to say something and when not to. And a lot of times it's... Um, you know, you, you could over direct. And, and so sometimes you, you have to know kind of the right thing. You almost have to become a psychologist. I found, you know, because I know how actors are. I know how the there's insecurities and, 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 and vulnerabilities that they have. And it is, it was almost more for me, it was dealing with that aspect of it. If you, if you cast good people who are good actors, you know, if you cast it right, then you don't have to direct them that much, you know, Uh, but, but it's more important knowing how to support, encourage, or get them to do something without it, them taking it the wrong way, you know? So right. it, that's what I've found. It, it would strike me in some ways, it's probably after you see the finished product, it's, it's gratifying, but in a different way. It's kind of like a maestro uh, who has an orchestra who gets to hear the whole recording and hears everything come together and know, hey, I, I kind of made that happen. Yeah, it's, it's very uh, rewarding and fulfilling in that aspect directing a, um, a project, you know, I went on to do a few films and um, especially the film, because you could watch it, you know, o- over again and it lives on. Um, but you're right. You know, you're starting from the very beginning with a, with an idea possibly or a script that, that you work on with the writer. And then you, then you go through process of pre-production where you bringing in all your crew and, 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 and talking about the way things are going to look or the locations and talking to the, the director of photography about the kinds of ways you see shooting it and style of shooting and all of that. And, and then shooting the movie and working with the actors and, and, and the crew and, and then post-production, the editing room, and it becomes your baby, you know, it really becomes like that. And, and, and like you said, the, uh, like the conductor of an orchestra um, after he's written a composition, maybe, you know, <laughs> and, and also producing is part of the picture for you as well. Uh, yeah, yes, but not really. Um, in, in some cases, I mean, I have the title because in some ways you'd say, yeah, in, in, in one film, Harley's Hill in particular, um, I acted kind of as a producer and a director because I was involved in a lot of aspects that a producer would do, but that's not really, what uh, what I see my real talent is in, I think much more so in directing. I'd much rather direct, uh, you know, but out of necessity, um, I, I became a producer in one or two instances because, um, because we didn't have the resources or, you know, I had to like step in that kind of thing, you know? And another thing that uh, you, you've 
gone on in your career, and I know you're doing a lot of work now with is is music, and in particular, uh, you're a singer, and you're very much into the kind of Rat Pack genre, which is one of my favorites. Absolutely love that stuff. Um, is is that a lifelong fascination? Have you always been a, a singer and also interested in the music of people like Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and Bobby Darin and folks like that? Yeah, I actually, since a very young age, I, I actually, I first started uh, loving that music. I was nine years old, and I saw the movie The Jolson Story about, yeah. you know, about out Larry there. Banks, uh, Larry Parks played. Parks, Parks. Jolson. I was close. You're very close. <laughs> um, and and for some reason, that movie just at nine years old, I I was I like became obsessed with it, the music and Jolson. I loved it, and I would go around singing and. And seeing for my grandparents, you know, all those, all the Jolson songs. And, and, um, then by the time I was about 13, my parents knew I was really serious. And so they sent me to a, a school in Manhattan that was for, for, you know, kids and, and young teens for singing and, and acting. And, and they even taught us tap dancing back then, which I didn't want to learn, but I had to. But, then, as a result of that, I got picked to be in a professional group of eight of us, seven of us at that age level, 15, to perform in the hotels, the nightclubs up in the Catskill Mountains. Oh, up, yeah. Upstate New, upstate New York. So in the summer of 68, when I was 15 years old, I was singing this kind of stuff. <laughs> the Borscht you know, Belt. I, the Borscht Belt. That's exactly right. And I loved that kind of stuff. And then I became a huge fan of Bobby Darren's who I saw at the Copa. Yeah. Cabana. And died incredible. 1973 died incredibly young. People don't realize that he was what? 37 years old or something. That's like exact. That's right. 37 in 1973. Um, way too soon. An incredible talent that is successful as he was, was still incredibly underrated and the full spectrum of, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I can go on and on. I saw him at the Copacabana when I was 18 and, he could do any genre of music and do it. Oh, that's so music. true. He did yeah. he did rock and roll. He did big band swing, jazz, country. I mean, he country, did it all. Uh, gospel, folk, blues. He did an album of Ray Charles uh, stuff. You know? His, his Desert Inn albums, one of my favorite, uh, Live at the Desert Inn is one oh, of my man. favorite albums of all time. Yeah, he was an incredible. So I was a huge fan of his. And I do, I do a bunch of Darren in my present show now. And Sinatra and Dean. And um, and other swing and some jump blues and just that whole you know joyous kind of stuff and um, uh, so I started doing this about a year ago. Uh, I just decided after forty years of not having that I the the music is so great and it just kept pulling at me. And I think part of the fact is that this music is has gotten you know not hit I don't hit but but it's it's a lot more popular now. And it's appreciated. It's appreciated again in a way that um, there was a 20-year period where, you know, this music was out of favor or it was hard to find, you know, people that to get bookings for this kind of stuff. But now it's, it's got, it's, you know, with people like Michael Buble and Harry Connick and, and um, Steve Tyrell and, and a bunch of others, um, it started, it's, it's really, it's, 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 it's back in, in a state of acceptance and, and appreciation and, and, and it just the timing seemed right for me to do this, and I said, "I I have to do this. If I'm not going to do it now, I don't know when." You know, so um, I just it came together. One thing came to another, and 
I've been doing shows at some of these great clubs in L.A., jazz clubs. I have one coming up March 1st at the Catalina Jazz Club. I did a few in New York um, at a place called uh, 54 Below. And, um, and I'm doing in San Diego next month and, and Madison, Wisconsin, I'm going to be doing. You know, so it's starting to spread. I'm starting to get, it's starting to grow. And I'm just going to see where it goes. Uh, I just love it so much. And people seem to be, you know, really, really enjoying it. And, and, and I'm getting incredible feedback. So it, it's a thing, you know, I get, I get high on stage. It's just, it's a tremendous it's gotta high. Be, it's got to be great. And, you know, I was, I've thought a lot about this because I'm certainly not an actor, but I, I have been a little bit of a, a singer and, and was a music minor in, in school for, for a while, or it wasn't going to be a double major, but decided one useless uh, major was enough with communication. Uh, but uh, I guess I thought about this and really a good singer, a great singer is really also a great actor because when you are singing a song, Mac, the knife, uh, one for my baby, whatever it might be, right. you're acting that part. So really, if you think about the great singers, uh, a lot of them were great actors. Sinatra was a great actor. Dean yeah. Martin, an underrated actor mm-hmm. because they were acting little two and three and four minute vignettes every yeah. night. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Um, you're telling a story, uh, you know, with, with a song, and you're having to convey the meaning with the lyrics and 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 find the emotion uh, to support it, and 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 you know, make it make it alive. So you're right, and it, for me, it's interesting. Um, it, it probably should be for any kind of song, and but I find that I real it really comes into play for me with the songs, the ballads, you know, like the one for my baby kind of songs. Um, then I really feel like it's a, the acting part of me comes into it in a big way. When I'm doing a real up-tempo, big band kind of swing song, I'm just having a freaking great time. (laughs) You know what I mean? And sometimes the lyrics come into play, you know, where I really get into the lyrics too. But, but it's for me that then it's just more about the, the feeling of the music, but in the ballads, um, it's the music and the lyric, and maybe I need to pay more attention to the lyrics on those swing songs too. But, but when it, when you're with a with a great band and it just hits gets into that pocket, you know, of, of, with a swing kind of a feel, um, I just I get lost. I just get lost in it. And 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 you you've not given up on acting. You 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 still act and you're still active and and on the production side of it. I assume. Yes. Um, yeah, I have several film projects that I'm trying to get going right now, you know, as a, as a, on the directing side and um on the acting side, yeah, yeah, I'm 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 doing a film uh next month. It's a small film, but it's a psychological thriller and so it's going to be a little different and um and I'm yeah, I'm really I'm really feeling the need uh to get in front of the camera and do a lot there's so much that I feel is left for me to do as an actor that I haven't touched, you know? So I'm, I'm really hoping to do a lot more in that, in that area for sure. So now this is going to come out in early March. So your, your first date there, your March 1st date may have passed by the time this gets out, but where can people go if they on the net, if they want to find out your latest dates uh, in terms right. of your music and everything you're doing uh, in acting and producing and directing and so forth, because we certainly want people not only to look back at happy days, but there's so much to look forward to for Don most. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, my website is probably the best. I'm not great at keeping it updated, but it's uh, donmost.net. 
And then also I have a Facebook fan page and I post on that a lot. So, you know, that's just called Don Most, uh, a Facebook page. And um, between the website and that, I think would probably give people, keep them updated. For sure. Well, I can say today that I talked to a TV icon and with a lot more to go, Don Most, thank you so much for joining us on TV You Grew Up With. Jim, it was really a pleasure. You you were a great interviewer. I have to, I, if I must, <laughs> I must say, I thought you asked me some uh, really terrific questions, and um, and I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Well, thank you, and thank you for tuning in to TV you grew up with. I'm Jim Harold. We'll be back next week with another TV great. Stay tuned. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>